0: Welcome back to WFAN with your host, Pete Hoffman. We have a super fight. It's the first time ever happening. Two MMA promotions are colliding head-to-head. Super super Fights pay-per-view is Saturday, February 24th, 12.30 p.m. It is the start time, Eastern time, but the main event is 3 o'clock. And special guest right now, commentator, one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time, Randy Couture, Thank you for joining me. I'm honored, my friend, right now, as you're sitting in beautiful Saudi Arabia.
1: Yeah, amazing. Uh, really cool. It's the founder celebration going on here this for the next three nights. So uh, I, I historically don't honestly know what what all of that is about, but the roads are packed. Everybody's out waving flags and, and uh, celebrating this country for the next three nights. So I think there's going to be a huge crowd at the fights on Saturday night for sure. It should be a blast.
0: Yeah, no, we're looking forward to it. And just you know, you we were talking a little bit off air about you adjusting to you know the 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 be, not being sleep deprived, but just the, the time management that you have to figure out. To explain to me about the fighters. How it's going to be different for them to to adjust? Yeah.
1: That's a great question, and that's another layer of the onion for sure. Anytime you're traveling to a different time zone overseas, even just three hours in the U.S is a, a remarkable how much just that three-hour time change can mess with you a little bit and obviously we're talking about a whole different scale because it's going into nighttime uh in the u.s right now um and here we are it's 8 30 in the morning here in, in Riyadh, in saudi arabia so uh, many of those guys have been here for at least a week and some of them more than that uh, to acclimate to adjust to that time zone change to get their sleeping patterns back in right to adjust their training and their mindset to fight time now because at home they would be sleeping mm. so you have to adjust that biological clock you have to mentally start doing your warm-up doing your practice getting those tools sharp and you can't go too hard because the fight's literally around the corner so it's a, a fine balance there between getting adjusted to the time change doing too much work physically so that you're flat on Saturday when it's time to actually fight and compete. It is a juggling act and it's a whole nother layer to, uh, to the onion of being able to step out there and perform your best.
0: What was the toughest challenge for you as a fighter? Was there one fight that you just were like, wow, I, I, I surprised that I got into the cage and survived just the, the the challenge of, of working my sleep schedule in. It was
1: interesting. I, I fought many times in Japan my first title fight with the UFC was in, in Yokohama. Uh, for some reason going West to, to Japan never bothered me as much. It's a 19 hour time difference. So it's almost, yes, you lose two days getting there cause you cross the date line, but, uh, biorhythmically you're sleeping, you know, there's, there's only a few hours difference in when you're going to sleep, when you're waking up. I never really had an issue that. Now Manchester was a different story going to the UK to fight Brandon Vera. um, uh, You know, I got there 10 days early. Uh, Thankfully, a JKD gym there in Manchester would open up for me at 9 p.m. every night. They were closed. But this guy's Mm -hmm. like, man, I'll I'll come in. I'll open the place. I'll let you do your warm-up and get your training and your rounds in at that time because that was fight time for me. And that was a huge difference being, you know, engaged. Not not wanting to fade into the pillow, but engaged in in fight mode and, and doing those things that whole 10 days leading up to, to fight night. So that made a huge difference for me. That's one of the things I think you have to do is start start getting adjusted is sleep etiquette, make yourself go to bed. You know, if you can use a modality that helps you sleep and helps you get good rest in, especially fight week, that's important. Uh, but making those adjustments in your schedule as well will, will, will help a lot. Um, you know, probably not one of my best performances in Manchester. I felt like I did win the fight. Brandon has a different opinion of that, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't course. think he realized how bad he hurt me in the second round. He kicked me in the liver in the second round and dropped me. Um, but I clearly won the first and the third round. So it really comes down to, did was that a 10-8? I don't think it was a 10-8. or eight. I, I know, but I don't, I'm glad he didn't just back up and try to make me stand back up because <laughs> I'm not sure I could have got up, to be honest.
0: Well, uh, you know, your career has always amazed me, especially, I mean, I always go back to the Tim Sylvia fight. I, that was a a masterclass of just so many different things. Again, you know, being the age that you were, the the difference in in height um, and, and the challenge it was, but the, the way you dominated Tim Sylvia, I always look at that fight and I just say that is MMA in a nutshell, like that's what you want to see. You want to be able to see. These, this David and Goliath type of fight, and you know you're kind of like the underdog almost in that fight because of that mismatch in size and how Tim Sylvia was, but th- you amazed everybody and, and especially at, at your age at the time, it was miraculous. Give me, you know, a little piece of you in, in that fight about the challenge it was. Did it, you made it look so easy? Was it as easy? as Well, it was
1: easy. And Tim, Tim was a huge guy, six foot eight. I knew Tim well. He came and stayed with me for a few weeks before he ever won a title, before I ever ever fought Rico Rodriguez and won the title. He came out to Team Quest in Oregon and he stayed my house and and we got to know each other pretty well. We were friends. That, I think, was an issue for Tim psychologically. Tim was one of those guys that had to kind of talk some trash, generate some animosity, get some heat going to psychologically be able to go out in the cage and, and do what he had to do. I knew he was going to have an issue with me that way because we were friends and we're still friends to this day. He's a great guy. I was the biggest crowd in North America at that time. I think about 22,000 people. I had retired, had some rhubarbs with, with the company for, for a little while going, you know, uh, and, and came out of retirement, was going through a divorce, needed to kind of let the dust settle, Um, came out of retirement for that fight. And uh, I don't think a lot of people, including my mom thought I was nuts at 43, almost 44 years old to go, fight a giant like Tim but I I, you know uh, the grappling competition I did with you know Jacare Ronaldo Souza in that layoff period uh, really kind of got my my juices flowing again The, the court case and the divorce and all that stuff had settled I started to feel a lot more like myself again was back in the training room that competition got me fired up one, one of my buddies from Team Quest kept poking me. You need to fight the giant. You need to fight the giant. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I ended up texting Dana. And, and, and he had, Tim had just fought uh, Jeff Monson in Sacramento. And it was a, a snooze fest. It just, neither guy really engaged. It was really not a very exciting fight. I was commentating that show. And about a week later, I texted Dana. I was like, man, that was like watching paint dry. I know I could beat either one of those guys. And he called me immediately. He did not text me back. He called me. <laughs> <laughs> and three weeks later, that that fight was signed. I had worked and studied Tim. Um, You know, he, he's long, those long levers, and he plods in. He uses his jab really, really well. Um, I thought if I use that left inside kick to break his balance a little bit, that overhand right would land and then follow that with a left hook. And, man, that was my – in my mind, the visualization everything i saw, that was my first contact that was going to get the ball rolling my way. I had no idea that guy was going to fall down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody in the arena did either. The place stood up, but I don't think they sat, sat back down for 25 minutes. It was, it was insane. It is one of my favorite fights simply because of that crowd. That last 10 second countdown still rings in my head. I mean, It was an amazing night. And, uh, Tim Tim said, I don't. After that first punch, I I don't remember much about the fight. He didn't realize he was even in the fifth round.
0: Wow, so pretty crazy, dude. I remember where I was at that fight. Like I was sitting at my friend's house. My my friend Paul. Like I remember vividly just standing up like everybody else because it was incredible. You're one of my favorite fighters, and to see you dismantle somebody like that was just incredible." Now, who do you think was your toughest challenge? I know that you've had some, you know, you've had some amazing wins. You've had some losses. Yeah. Who was your toughest challenge?
1: I had a lot of battles, you know, certainly Chuck and Tito. And, and uh, but I think the toughest fight I was in was the first time I fought Pedro Izzo. That was in Atlantic City. That was the first fight my mom attended uh, in person. I broke my nose. He punched <laughs> me. Actually, I punched myself. He tried to kick me in the head in the second round. And I punched, I blocked the kick, but punched myself right in the face <laughs> and my nose just gushed the rest of the fight. He kicked me in my lead leg about 14 times in that fight. I did not walk right for six weeks after that fight. Now I went back and analyzed the tape because a lot of people thought I lost that fight as well. And, and as I clearly, uh, rashly felt like I won three of the, of the five rounds, he had two really solid rounds in the middle of the fight came back strong in the fifth I think to, to swing the decision my way honestly. Um, actually no it wasn't the fifth it was the fourth. I took him down in the, in the third and the fourth the fifth he kicked me again and, <laughs> and took my legs took literally took my legs right out from under me and uh, man uh, I, uh, I had to be helped to my room that night. I did not walk well for a while. <laughs> Talk oh about goodness. wanting to smack, smack a massage therapist because you had all this blood. My leg swelled up and turned black and my quad. And and you have to massage that stuff. Or it'll crystallize and kill the muscle. I still have a dent in that thigh from where he kicked me. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, it was cre It was crazy. That was oh, oh, an eye-opener. You know, Mo Smith because they forced me into an automatic automatic rematch. That's when Zufa just bought the company. He was their new golden child they signed to a nine fight deal. It was going to bring in the Latin American crowd. So they were sure he was going to beat my old ass and they'd be done with <laughs> me. It didn't go that way, but they forced me into an automatic rematch with him. I went up to Mo Smith. My the, my first auto fight was with Mo, who's an amazing kickboxer and and spent most of my camp in Seattle working with Mo trying to fix and figure out this kicking how to check kicks, how to kick properly myself. In the second fight, I actually kicked him uh, three times. He never got a kickoff against me, and and he didn't make it out of the third round. So Mo changed a bunch of things. I was still in a wrestler stance. I still had most of my weight on my front leg. Nearly impossible to check a kick with with your, your stance that way. So he shifted my stance, put more weight on the back leg, was able to pick that front leg up, check kicks, and kick myself a little more effectively and efficiently after that training camp.
0: Randy, again, being joined by Randy Couture again. uh, The PFL versus Bellator this Saturday. Uh, It's super fights, champion versus champion. It's going to be incredible. But you've been talking about these leg kicks, and that's something that's really been going on now in in MMA. The calf kicks, like the calf kicks. Thank God
1: that didn't happen when
0: I was fighting.
1: That was not (laughs) not a novelty then. It was more, you know, head body and thighs and nobody was into calf kicking then. And my son was the first one to calf kick me. I was training him for a for a bellator and even with shin pads on, he kicked me in the calf and I'm like, damn it, don't you do that again. I'm like, <laughs> do you think uh, you, yeah, do try. you think
0: do you think you'd be able to like how would you how are you supposed to adjust the calf kicks, especially, you know, certain certain people are are so prone to, you know, some people just, you know, stuck with wrestling skills or their their Muay Thai or whatever it is, but like can just the base like you have to train to check them. That that, that is yeah, that so the only way to stop dude.
1: them? Look, look, look at what Sean Strickland just did against Adesanya. I mean, that was perfect. And he had to wade in and get in the pocket with Adesanya because he wasn't the longer fighter, but he kept picking that lead leg up. Adesanya loves that calf kick. And he kept he made him miss and made him pay every time he missed. That was That was textbook how to deal with the calf kick. You know, you don't want to ride. many of those off because they are going to accumulate and they are going to affect your mobility we've seen how many fights literally guys had to quit because they couldn't stand on that leg anymore it's it's crazy how much that hurts think about it that that part of your leg that bone in your leg is just about the same as a baseball bat and the strongest muscles in your body are in your core and in your hips and you're swinging that baseball bat that soft tissue in your legs it sucks most most civilians out there do not know how bad that hurts and how much damage that does. And you affect the fighter's mobility and you change the fight. You change the way he's got to fight.
0: Do you think that they'll ever – like, you know, obviously in PFL, the elbows are disallowed, right?
1: That's changing, and that's up for debate in in the coming season because we're starting this pay-per-view model with this Champions versus Champions Bellator, there's some talk about bringing elbows back at that level, at the pay-per-view level. All those Bellator guys are used to training and fighting with elbows. I get and, and agree actually with why we took elbows out of the season, out of the global package. You're fighting four times in eight months. I mean, you can't afford to sit around and let nine stitches heal up because elbows cause a lot of damage. Big blunt force object, that causes a lot of cuts. So when you have to turn around every two months and fight again to get yourself into that championship and that belt, uh, I think eliminating the elbows in that in that format made a lot of sense to me. And I think it makes a lot of sense to me to now bring back the unified rules, bring back the elbows at the pay-per-view level where those fights are going to be spaced out. You're not fighting in a season. It's not the same thing. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how they, how they figure that out. It sounds to me like PFL Europe was on the cusp of bringing – the elbows back and now there's been some pushback from the federation there. So I'm not sure what's going to happen. It's up for debate right now. So that's an interesting question. Talk about six foot eight. We got hand on I don't, know, I don't <laughs> want to be kicked by that guy either. No. Brian Bader, Brian Bader's like me, you know, he's my size, uh, comes from a very similar background, wrestling at Arizona state, an amazing athlete, you know, a two division champ for Bellator for, for quite a long time. Um, now looks like a bona fide heavyweight, but he's still facing Hennon. And, and Hennon now has changed camps. I think previously he had some holes in his game. We saw that with Verdum. We saw that a couple of other times. where, where he hit the ground, and he got on his back, and he had a serious problem. And Ryan Bader certainly has the ability to put him there. But he's changed camps now. He's a top team. He seems to have shored up some of those glaring weaknesses with his ground game and his and his takedown defense. Uh, he obviously won the championship this year and, and looks to be firing on all cylinders. So I'm excited about that fight. That's going to be an amazing matchup.
0: It is. And then the, it's almost like a, Hey, the winner gets the newly uh, <laughs> yeah. announced Francis and ganu Like, is, yeah. is that a win? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: Right. Be careful what you wish for. And Francis is amazing. Obviously the, the story is a movie in the making. I mean, to, to migrate from Cameroon all the way through Morocco, make his way across, the mediterranean into paris to start his training and start competing living in his car in 2012 i mean uh, it's an amazing story if they would have caught him in morocco if they didn't kill him they would have sent him back to cameroon or, or put him in prison i mean pretty remarkable thing and then you know to step up and, and want to achieve a dream of boxing and to pick one of the best boxers in the sport right now in tyson fury i mean remarkable what he did to negotiate With the pfl and not only negotiate an amazing purse and a great position as as the chairman for pfl africa but to negotiate his opponent's purse of two million dollars who does that nobody (laughs) nobody has ever done that and and so i think you know yes there's an upside yeah you're facing francis nagano if you win this on saturday night and you're going to get a two million dollar purse but you're still facing francis nagano
0: (laughs) How how do you, how does a Randy Couture, who's joining us right now, Randy Couture, how does Randy Couture beat Francis Ngannou?
1: Man, uh, I think, obviously, I have a very particular style, Um, would have to set him up and try and put him on his back, but he's shored up that part of his game. He spent two years at Extreme Couture putting himself in some very uncomfortable situations and positions to shore up that part of his game. And we saw that in the rematch with, with Stipe. I mean, it was a completely different matchup. So uh, he's going to be a lot harder to take down, uh, which means I'm probably going to have to use my Greco skills, that style of wrestling, which I used a lot in my, in, in my fighting style, close the distance, get my hands on him, get into that chest to chest position, manipulate him from there, maybe take him down from there. It's going to be hard to take a guy that quick and athletic and strong, from the open positions and open striking in that range of exchanges to to get in and deep enough to, to take him down uh, but against the fence trip body locks uh off balances find ways to strike a lot like the gonzaga fight because because i mean there's some similarities between those two now francis doesn't have a black belt jujitsu, but uh striking wise the kicking the punching the power the size of both of them they're very similar so it would have to be an approach a lot like it was w- with Gonzaga, Gonzaga, Gabriel Gonzaga.
0: Now, I mean, Francis Encarno is is you know a complete fighter as far as you know just his strength, his ability, his his d- defense has definitely stepped up. But we last now saw him in in the ring versus, uh, like you said, Tyson Fury, mm-hmm. and he's going up against Anthony Joshua next. Yeah. So we saw Conor McGregor go through this when he fought Floyd Mayweather and then he returned to MMA and it just wasn't the same type of of, of fighter. You saw that Conor still had the the boxing technique that he was still using. Do you think that that Francis is going – that that's going to affect his his skills in the MMA cage?
1: I don't think so. I think Francis is diligent. I think he's given himself enough time – You know after this anthony joshua fight to get back into the groove of mma and get back into that grappling and wrestling and and mma mindset um so i think he's given himself plenty of space between the two fights to get back into that mode he's in shape it's not like he's been sitting on his butt right he's been training very very hard i would say that his striking has probably improved tremendously just because of his focus on boxing this last year but um yeah, I I don't see that's going to be an issue for Francis. I, again, that's a tribute to his character, his work ethic, the diligence that he brings to this. Because he's he, you know he's not going to rest on his laurels. He, he knows what's at stake. Yeah, the purses in this boxing world are way bigger and probably way more enticing. But at the end of the day, I think it's his pride and and everything that he's accomplished and what brought him to the boxing dance in the first place was MMA. So I don't think he's gonna I don't think he's gonna dump that. I think he's gonna stay focused. Uh, he's given him, like I said, given himself enough time to train, get those tools back sharpened, you know, get kicked again, get, you know, all those things that he hasn't been doing for a year now.
0: Now, Randy Couture joining us, and and we've, you've had mm-hmm. personal, you know, battles with Dana White outside of the cage and whatnot. And Francis who's kind of taken that way too. Francis left the UFC in a way where, you know, most UFC fans are like th- that. Like, we've, th- UFC fans look at their heavyweight division as that's 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 one of the best prizes of all time. And now the best best heavyweight has left, joined PFL, and Dana made it sound like ah, he's, he's he doesn't want to face the best in the world. But we all know yeah. that Francis is the best in the world. So. Tell me, guide me through. You've had those experiences. You've you've had to leave the promotion. You've got yeah. to do your own thing. So, uh, you know, did Francis, do you think that Dana really um slighted Francis a lot and tried to put him down? Like, I mean, I it just, it just feels like it wasn't I mean, right.
1: That, that's just Dana's modus operandi, if you will. That's just the way he operates. It's the way he is. They came to an agreement on money. It was fighter advocacy that Francis was looking for. He wanted the fighters to have a voice in how they're regulated and, and what these contracts look like and try in some way and shape or form to force the UFC and Dana White to create some transparency in what they're doing and the way they're practicing the business. There's a whole class la- action lawsuit out there right now that's going to trial in April for just that same reason. So, uh, you know, I everybody assumes I got in Francis's ear that I talked to him. I actually never talked to him once about any of this. All the decisions he made were his own. I was not involved in any of that eric nixick who knows me very well is what is his head coach and certainly i'm sure steered him uh in some way shape or form but at the end of the day it was francis decision to walk away he wanted that advocacy that's what that meant a lot to him and so that's the first thing that got addressed with the pfl when he came to the pfl they made him the chairman of pfl africa they're developing a regional competition there just like pfl europe You're going to see PFL Australia, PFL Latin America and PFL Middle East or MENA is coming on this, this year. So Francis will be heavily involved with the folks here in Saudi Arabia because they share region, uh, North Africa and and Middle East are connected. There's a lot of amazing athletes coming out of the, I mean, look at Adesanya and so many others that are coming out of this, this continent, this area that are very, very good fighters and they don't have the infrastructure and they don't have the opportunities that, so many of us, other Western countries, have had. So that means a lot to Francis. Yes, eight million dollars is amazing. It's the same thing the USC was offering him. It wasn't about the money, and that's what Dana wants to say. Oh, he's just a greedy athlete, and it's the same thing he tried to say about me. What about the money? It's about being treated fairly, being treated properly, uh, having some transparency in our sport. That's what's missing. How are we supposed to negotiate our fair value in the marketplace if nobody knows how much these promoters are making off of any given fight? And I know the UFC's motto is to try and keep that amount of money that they pay those fighters under 20%. And they're doing a great job because it's 13 to 15% of the money from any one of those UFC events goes to the athletes that actually put their butts on the line on those fights. So that's what needs to change. Show me another professional sport in our society today that that's the case. There isn't one. It's all at least 50-50. Boxing is even more than that because of the way boxing is structured and because of the Mama Ali Act. So I love the PFL. I love what they're doing. They're paying the fighters well, not just in those million dollar championship fights, but along the way as every other professional fighter in our society. It's one of the reasons I'm sitting here in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, right now because <laughs> this company's trying to do it right, giving the athletes a voice, uh, respects the athletes for who they are. And I don't see a lot of that coming. Now, I will say, purchasing Bellator was one of the other organizations that was doing a great job with their fighters. My son fought for them for most of their career. I did a lot of brand ambassador stuff for Bellator. Scott Coker is an amazing guy. Dana White wants to call him a very, very bad promoter, which makes me laugh. He's helped a lot of athletes, Gina Carano and many others achieve their dreams of being a professional fighter. So that's, I think what makes this, clash between Bellator champions and PFL champions. So unique and something special. And Dana had the opportunity to do that. He could have combined the Pride champions. I could have got to fight Fedor back in the day. I saw Fedor yesterday. It was great to see him, actually, in the lobby of the hotel here.
0: So, um, you know, we'll see.
1: Uh, I'm excited about these fights, and I want to stay absolutely focused on that. So,
0: Now, Randy, I mean, listen, you're you're amazing, and, and I appreciate you, you bringing all that stuff up, especially because as an advocate listen here in New York our, our my you know we for Wfan we talk baseball we talk football we talk all these sports all these guys are just you know cashing and we're talking about these guys making 35 million dollars a year and then we're talking about fighters who you know are lucky to make you know twenty thousand dollars for a fight if that I mean some of them are even much less than that yeah. will there ever will there ever be a union is that how how is there well going here's to be a problem?
1: Yeah, yeah the union model doesn't fit we're all 10.99 employees so where's a union in that we're independent contractors we need an association and we have the MMAFA. you know unfortunately there's only about a hundred of us that are involved uh and they're you know the the main guys steering that the, the MMA mixed martial arts fighters association the players association of football players association in baseball players association in basketball sag screen Actors field I'm part of that that's that's the model that works. There's lots of promotions, just like there's lots of productions and studios out there making movies. So as 1099 employees, the union model doesn't work, but or fit. And it's, it, it's some of its semantics. I mean, you start breaking down this language and it's like, what it's, it's crazy. But but that's honestly the way just the way it is. Uh, why in your great state of New York did it take so long for the sport to be approved there? Oh. The Culinary Union looked at at the Fertitas and Station Casinos as union busters, so they lobbied hard to keep it off the floor for years. That was the last state that sanctioned this sport, and a lot of that was politics. BS. Yeah, <laughs> but it is. It's what it is. So, uh, unfortunately, it's in everything. Um, we have some work to do in this sport. It's the fastest growing sport on the globe, but we as fighters are being taken advantage of by a lot of these promoters. And, and there's no transparency in our sport. We're not enjoying the same protections that boxers enjoy because of the federal legislation that is the Ollie Act. Now, the, the boxers are going to say, well, they, we don't to we use that. We, you know, they do. They How is Floyd Mayweather able to represent himself and be his own promoter because of the Ollie Act and those protections? Conor McGregor had the opportunity to change our sport. When he got licensed as a boxer, his contract with Zufa was null and void. It was, it, it was no longer valid because he now was protected by the Ali Act. And he chose to bring Zufa and Dana White back in, into that fight and allow them to take a percentage of his purse and all that. He could have changed our sport and, and done... You know, obviously, he didn't want to burn a bridge. I get it. But at the end of the day, has he really come back to MMA? He might as well have just changed the sport forever and, and created that transparency and all that and highlighted that. He could have he could have been... an instrumental figure in our sport in that way instead of this.
0: Get me wrong,
1: I, 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 I like Connor. I just met him in person here in Riyadh for the Tyson Fury fight. He's very gregarious. He's a very outgoing, intelligent human. Fun to be around. But I think he missed an opportunity to really make a, a, a real mark on this sport other than just talking trash and pulling publicity stunts. That's,
0: that's how I feel about it. Randy Couture joining us right now. Again, I, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but you're just... Um, last time I talked to you, I think I spoke to you for about an hour. I'm not going to try to hold you that long. I really don't. You, you're amazing. you amazing. You have so many stories, so much good knowledge too. Uh, we do have to promote though, because you're... The regular season for PFL, it's going to be in San Antonio, April 4th, uh, yep. for, uh, April 12th in Las Vegas, April 19th in Chicago. There's going to be some dates, I believe, in Mohegan Sun all this other stuff in Connecticut. Yep. I believe Jersey, too. So it's traveling. It's going to be awesome. And then, obviously, the big super fights between PFL and Bellator this Saturday, uh, two, 1230 p.m. Eastern Time Three o'clock, the main event starts. You can get on pay per view. Now, you keep on talking about the the Ali, um, Muhammad Ali act. The ha- Muhammad Ali act. Now, Viaggio Ali Walsh, who is, a, yes. who is a grandson, is fighting on this card. We've seen him now knock out his opponent many times. I think, the, is this his per, first professional fight? Or is it this is his um, pro debut.
1: That's right. This is his pro debut here in Riyadh. Viaggio uh, is an amazing kid, uh, football player. Um, and, and feels like you know, he, he did some wrestling in high school and he ended up playing college football. He, he got a little off track uh, after football. His college experience didn't give him what he expected from it, and, and, he, and he he got himself into a little bit of trouble, and and MMA and wrestling really saved his life, kind of pulled him back in, gave him new focus, new purpose, and, and here we are. We, this this kid is incredible, incredibly talented. Obviously, the, the bloodline runs strong in him, um, his, his brother, Nico, is doing great things in boxing as well. Uh, excited to see this kid make his pro, pro debut. He's a, he's a remarkable young man. Uh, he represents our sport very, very well. He's articulate. He, he, he's just a diligent kid. He's not resting on his laurels. He's not, if anything, dragging that last name around is probably more of a nuisance to him <laughs> than the average guy trying to be a, a professional mixed martial artist. And that's the truth of the matter. But he takes it all in grace. Uh, uh And just uh, just a great kid, and I'm excited for his pro debut.
0: uh Which fight are you most excited about Saturday night?
1: Man, I think this Johnny Elbin Impa kasangani matchup is going to be very very interesting. I think a lot of people uh are overlooking Impa and and just how intelligent and and diligent Impa is and and his fight IQ is remarkable. His conditioning, that's the thing that impressed me in the finals. He looked like he could have gone another five rounds pretty easily, uh, but he's just a really interesting guy living in a yurt in, in Florida, <laughs> uh, keeping it simple, and, and just the spirit that he carries around. is, is fun to be around and, and to watch him compete, and he's got his hands full with a great big terror of a guy that's just literally firing on all cylinders right now. Johnny's is, is probably the best Johnny Elvin we've seen Coming into the fight, so that that's going to be an amazing show for sure.
0: One of my one of my favorite fighters just to watch in the cage. He's taking on Tiago Santos, but Yoel Romero. I just again just somebody uh, who uh, always brings something special to the cage. Uh, give me give me a breakdown of what you th- how do you think that fight will go? Yo, Yoel, does he still have something left in the tank?
1: Yoel does, and Yoel is an amazing wrestler. He wrestled for Cuba, was, was a world champion for Cuba. I know Yoel. Very well. Watched him for years. One of my students from Oregon <laughs> State University, Les guts is probably one of the best wrestlers I've ever been around, uh, banged heads with Yoel Romero in the freestyle mats for, for years. They competed back and beat each other back and forth. And so I, I've watched him for a long, long time. Um, amazing athlete. Comes from that Soviet system that, that the Cubans used. And, and they're very, very good in boxing, wrestling, so many other sports so for such a small island. Uh, in, in the South Pacific, uh, yeah, I think Yoel still definitely still got it. He, you know, he, he's not going to go out there and embarrass himself. He's going to bring it. Um, he's a fun guy to watch fight. Very, very athletic. Uses his explosive power uh, very effectively, and and implements his wrestling when he
0: needs to. Uh, again, Randy Couture joining us. A couple more questions. Um, one of the highly touted when he was coming up, he was yo- he was young. He's a featherweight, Aaron Pico. He makes his return to the cage. Um, has his career hasn't gone the way I think that they wanted it to go in belt tour. I think they wanted that fast rise, that that Connor McGregor, that even Cody Garbrandt, that win a few fights, be a champion, raise the belt, and he just stumbled a little bit. Is he back on track to becoming a champion? Is he back on track to to being an elite fighter?
1: Here's another really interesting story. Here's a kid that at a very early age was competing in wrestling at a very, very high level, spent some time in Russia, trained and competed over there. Uh, some great boxing, some amazing boxing. And I think everybody was shocked that first big Bellator fight that he was in and he, and he got clipped. He was like, what just happened? And, and that's one of those psychological flags that gets stuck in an athlete's head. And they sometimes... You know, that confidence wanes or they go back to that place where they got caught. And it just it happens in our sport. And that's a psychological hurdle. I think that he has struggled at times to continue to compartmentalize and put in his place so he can go out and use all the amazing athletic skills and spirit that he has in a, as an athlete. And I think that's caused him some of the ups and downs that he's had.
0: You know, you say that and, and I have to go to this Volkanovski fight because you just lost the belt at the Borea. Um, and he's now lost twice by knockout. He lost to Islam uh, in the uh, the lightweight uh, championship bout, and then he lost his belt in featherweight. So is it – was it too soon of a return? Can you return too soon from being knocked out? Do you have to – is there a time li- limit before you return to the cage?
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, physiologically – and we've seen this. I mean, we've seen this with Chuck Liddell. I mean – once that button gets hit sometimes it seems like the button got bigger and it's easier to hit after that i mean i think three of chuck's last four fights were pretty significant knockouts and and that's concerning and you know you don't want to see our athletes put themselves so we we know the inherent risks of our sport we do we know what cte is we know what all this stuff is so it's hard for me to say i don't think it's i think he took enough time Physically to recover from from the knockout and come back and fight again. Um, psychologically, I think that hurdle is always a challenge too. And we just talked about this with Aaron Pico, and it's a very similar thing. Now he was looking pretty calm, pretty relaxed coming in there. He looked; it was a great fight, uh, back and forth. I, I I I had it going pretty well for him, uh, but a very very close, a very tough fight to score. And and that right hook was right on the button. I mean, my gosh, that was that was a great shot that could happen to anybody. So it's tough to, you know, to calculate, has he taken too many shots now? What's going on? Is is there an issue here? Did he come back too soon? Those are all valid questions. At the end of the day, he's the only one that can answer those questions truthfully. Um, And I'm sure he's scratching his head and asking himself some of those same questions, too.
0: Uh, Kayla Harrison has left PFL. She's joined the UFC, but you still have Clarissa Shields. She's fighting on this card as well. Give us a lowdown of her. Is she excelling in the MMA game? I mean, she's a great boxer, but has she really excelled in, in the MMA? Has she, she reached that point where she could be a title contender in the near future?
1: I think she still has some work to do. I think she still has some things to shore up in the ground part of this, our sport. Obviously, she brings an amazing part you know, the, the boxing part to it. Nobody's really kicked her. So, and, you know, she has Montez took her down and, and exposed the glaring weakness that we all figured was going to be there as somebody who's predominantly been in the boxing world for most of her life. Uh, those accolades have certainly got a lot of attention, just like Kayla, the two-time gold medalist in judo, which is a grappling sport. Kayla had to learn the other side of the coin, the boxing, the striking, the, the kicking part of our sport she uh, Clarissa's on the other side of that and she has to learn this grappling and wrestling and immerse herself and put herself in some places that are pretty uncomfortable if you don't know what the hell you're doing. Um, I, I don't know if she's doing that honestly. I'm not part of a camp. She, she's not training in extreme couture. I, I can't you know Francis, I know exactly what he was doing. I watched him, I saw it you know and every other guy, Brian Stan, so many of the guys that were great strikers came to us because they wanted to shore up that part of their game and and we have the ability to help them do that i don't know if, if she's getting that love from jackson wink or if she's even training at jackson wink still i'm not sure what she's doing i'm not in that loop uh i'm gonna have a fighter interview with her in, in a couple of hours here <laughs> and those are certainly questions that i want to ask uh you know is she putting herself on the mat is she doing some grappling is she doing any jujitsu? jitsu she's starting to figure out those other pieces to the puzzle we know the athleticism and the, and the warrior spirit that she's going to bring to that cage every single time, but there's some technical issues that still have to be worked out or, or we need to see demonstrated that, that she's been diligent and shored those things up.
0: Well, a uh, final question for me, and again, being joined by the great Randy Couture, one of the legends of MMA, one of the best to ever, ever step into the cage. He's also an actor too. Uh, is there any films coming your way that we need to be prepared for? Is there an Expendables five happening? <laughs>
1: well, no, no scuttlebutt, no talk about Expendables five yet. It's still on VOD. It's, you know, still making the rounds. It's on airplanes now. I'm getting a lot of people. I saw you. I saw you on Expendables four in the airplane, flying to so and so. So it's still making the rounds and still doing well. I think so. That that I think tells me we're probably going to get a chance to do a fifth one. Um, a lot of fun doing the fourth one, and I, I got a, a, a big boost in screen time and, and exposure through through four. Um, getting ready for uh, Inside Job, which is a mob movie coming up that got discombobulated because of the strike. So I'm waiting to hear some dates for that film. Got another one called The Ranch, um, which is an action flick dealing with cartels and sort of you know got a little bit of a Rambo flavor to it. Uh, that last Rambo uh, and that I may get to work with Kurt Angle and I'm hoping Cowboy Cerrone as well. So we'll, we'll see how that shakes out, but that one's still in the works.
0: Wow. That's awesome. Looking forward to it. Uh, And Randy, thank you so much for your time. I I, I would love to, obviously, when we watch the fights, when we watch the PFL fights, we're living the fights with you because we get to hear you uh, commentate, but I would love to just sit and, and be next to you, and be a fan with you as you watch these fights, because you're still locked in on all these fights, even if you have nothing to do with them, it feels like.
1: Well, I love the sport. I've, I've developed a you know, the, the true passion for the sport of wrestling at 10 years old, and that carried me into mixed martial arts into my mid thirties uh, and, and well into my forties. So that passion doesn't go away. Just when I retired from the sport, you don't just turn a switch off. It, it doesn't happen. So I'm excited. I feel like I get the best seat in the house. Some of my, good friends sitting next to me talking about these fights. It's a blast. It's an absolute blast.
0: Well, Randy, again, thanks so much. And look forward to to hearing you uh, this Saturday, 3 p.m., ESPN+. Uh, looking forward to PFL versus Bellator. It's going to be amazing. Again, just appreciate your time. I appreciate it, man.
1: Thanks, brother. I appreciate you having me on. Good to see you again.